I'm Paulo. I'm one of the elders here at Reality Ventura and excited to share the Word of God, the Word of God, the written Word of God. So, hey, last week, Chad shared about God using our brokenness and our weakness. You guys remember that and how in many ways God is glorified in that, in our weakness and in our brokenness, how God could take our lack, right? The disciples had a very lacking giving. He took that and he glorified himself in that and how God does that in each and every one of our lives. And so this week, we're going to continue studying the gospel of Matthew. We're going to start with verse 22 in chapter 14. I'm reading out of the uh, New Living Translation for the most part this morning. It says here, verse 22, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word, this account. So encouraging, God. We get to see a little bit of your heart in this, get to see your power in this, your your bigness in this, Lord. Help us see that this morning. Help us have a higher view of who you are and your purposes in our life. Anoint me, God, to faithfully teach and preach your word and anoint my friends here to receive from you their, their shepherd. We thank you, God. We thank you that you take such good care of us, that you would give us your word to instruct us and guide us, and you give us your spirit to experience your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you guys remember last week, Jesus just gets done with one of the most recognized miracles of all time, right? He feeds like upward to possibly 10 to 20,000, 10 to 20,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few, few small fish. He takes the disciples' lack and he multiplies it. And he provides for the people, right? And he provides more than enough, right? They had leftovers. They had leftovers. How many of you here this morning, if you were there to see and experience that miracle, you would see Jesus as big? How many of you guys would, would say, I see Jesus big? 
How many of you, if you saw that, your belief and your faith in what Jesus could do would be strengthened? Because if you think about it, guys, seriously, 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children, right? We're talking, hey, this sanctuary could hold about 500 people. About 500 people. To see Jesus feed a group of people more than 10 times the size of this sanctuary with just a few loaves and some fish. That's unreal. That's unreal. Jesus was aiming to open their eyes that they could see how big he was, how big his power was, uh, how impossible, the impossible realm that he works in. He wanted to open their eyes to the fact that he, Jesus, was the Son of God, the Messiah. And I believe in our text this morning, again, Jesus is continuing this act, this act of letting the disciples see how big he was and to strengthen their faith, their faith to do impossible things through the power of God. So Jesus tells the disciples, hey, get into that boat and go to the other side of the lake. It's crazy. With, without Jesus? Without him? Why, why, why would we do that? We're here to follow you. Without him? Where was he going? Right? Where was he going? Why wasn't Jesus going with them? And then he sends the, the people away, right? He, he sends the disciples away, and then he sends the people away. Why didn't he send the people away earlier, right? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he, he, the, isn't that what the disciples asked him to do, right? Remember that? that he said, hey, Jesus, send the people away. There's no place to get food for these people in such a, a desolate area. They asked him to do this, and here he is. He's going to send them away now. The reason why is Jesus was up to something. And if we consider the previous miracle, Jesus was up to showing the disciples how big he was. He wanted to strengthen the faith of the disciples with a right view of who he was. He wanted to show them that he, Jesus, was bigger than their circumstances. And I would say that Jesus is always at work in strengthening our faith in our lives. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see that? Do you, do you view your life as you walk through the trials and the highs and the lows? Do you see that God is, is trying to get you to see who he is and therefore strengthen your faith in him? Faith is a vital grace. It's a vital grace that's given to us by God. It's so vital that the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11 verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, we don't even believe that he exists. If we don't believe that God exists, then we have nothing. So God is constantly developing that in us. And on the other side, faith is so vital that it is the number one grace that is attacked by your enemy, by our enemy. If the enemy destroys or shipwrecks our faith, he's got you. So the enemy will use this life and the trials within it to constantly try to attack your faith so you'll wind up with, any, with nothing. That's what he wants. He wants to destroy us. Jesus could have sent the people away to get food, but he didn't, right? 
He did a radical miracle to show the power of God. Jesus could have jumped into the boat with the disciples and went to the other side and everything just fine, but he didn't. Another miracle to strengthen the faith of the disciples was in the works. And in verse 23, we see the reason why Jesus didn't go into the boat with the disciples, right? It's a familiar, a familiar pattern in Jesus' life. To walk out the call to explain the Father in mission and ministry, and then he would steal away in private to be close to the Father. We see that a lot when we study the life of Jesus. Now, that's not the point of this sermon. We could actually have a whole sermon series on that. But it is something that we want to continue to notice as you read Scripture. As you guys, as students of the Word of God, notice that that's what Jesus did. Intimacy with the Father and then ministry and then intimacy again. With intimacy and closeness with the Father being the goal, not ministry. I pray that we would be found in this pattern of life as well. So again, Jesus sends them across the lake ahead of him. In Mark's account of the same thing, it says that he sends them to Bethsaida. And it's not too far. If you look at the Sea of Galilee and, and where it proposed that, uh, that the feeding of the 5,000 took place, Bethsaida is not too far. But it would have been more efficient to travel by boat. It's a lot less. I don't like walking all that much. So like, boat, let's take the boat, you know. Um, and Jesus probably would have just went and met them by foot. You guys remember times where, you know, the disciples and Jesus would be in a boat and then the crowd would follow them on the shore and then meet them wherever they were. That was probably maybe what Jesus had in mind. But while that happened, while the disciples were out in the water, a strong wind rises and it causes heavy waves. The disciples were rowing against it. It's not like they had motorboats back then. They were rowing against it. They're trying to stay on, co- they're trying to stay on course. Now, mind you, it's been a pretty busy day, right? What was Jesus doing all day? He was teaching, right, all the way into the afternoon. That was why they were saying, hey, send them away. It's getting late, right? That was the whole thing. So Jesus has been teaching all day, and they do some mega feed where they have a meal with over 10,000 people, and now they've been rowing against the elements all night, right? Where would you be at that moment? I'd be fried, you know? And the text says that at 3 a.m., Jesus came toward them walking on the water. 3 a.m.? 3 a.m. I mean, seriously? Millennials, that's probably all right for you guys, man. But, I'm like, dude, 11 p.m. is crazy for me at these, this t- stage of my life. After all that those guys put their hands on that day, Jesus is walking toward them over the water at 3 a.m., and that explains why these guys responded in the way that they did. They saw Jesus coming toward them. What'd they say? It's a ghost, right? It's a ghost. I mean, what else could have it been at that hour walking on the water? It's not like Jesus has ever did this before. Not like they ever seen anyone else do it before. A ghost. And Jesus replies with words that were meant to comfort his loved ones, his disciples. And I would say they're words that are here to comfort us today. Jesus says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. I used to read that line and I used to just read on, you know, like, hey, let's get to, the, let's get to this crazy stuff. But lately, the Spirit's been putting on my heart, he said, sit there, sit in that, sit in that. Don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And, and it's like the Spirit puts me in this place where I'm like the disciples, I'm fearing Fearing for my life or fearing for this worst case scenario in a situation. And the one, right? The one says those words to me. Don't be afraid, Paulo. 
Take courage, I'm here. Those words mean something when they come from Jesus. The great I am was there. Everything was going to be all right. He was bringing into the practical realm these age-old promises that have been given to God's people. The chosen one is here. Don't be afraid. In the midst of the storm, Jesus arrives. Isn't that what he does? Right? Isn't that what Jesus does? There's the storms of life. Jesus is there, and he's ready to be our refuge. He's ready to be our strong tower we can run to. That's what Jesus does. But we read in Mark's account is that Jesus was always there. I'll have it on the screen for you. It's in Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 47. It says, Late that night the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. Verse 48, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. He saw that they were in serious trouble. It seemed like when the storm hit, at least to the disciples, Jesus wasn't with them, right? He wasn't in the boat, but he was, but he was. He saw everything. Jesus was on land. He might have been like on some hill, right? Some hill praying to the Father, and he had this really perfect vantage point of the lake. He had this view. He may not have been in the boat, but he was there. He saw everything, and he sees everything in your guys' life. He sees everything. He sees your highs. He sees your lows. He sees maybe the calm seas that you're in right now, and he sees the storm that you might be in right now. He sees that, and he is there. And for those of you who are in the middle of a storm in your life, Jesus is saying to you this morning, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. He's saying, I am with you. I am for you. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And if this is true, friends, if, if, if we believe this, we have real hope. We have real hope. The great I am is with me. The great I am is with you. This is, this is hope for something that I struggle with. This is hope to combat my worry. For those of you who are in that right now, you worry. This is hope that combats that. And what happens next is only recorded in Matthew, and I'm so glad that God included it in the Bible. I'm so glad that we could receive from it this morning. Peter makes an interesting request of Jesus in the middle of the storm. He says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in the middle of the storms in my life, the first thing that I ask Jesus is, Get me the heck out of this storm, Jesus. Deliver me. Get me. Calm these things. Can I get an amen on that? Like, for real, right? But Jesus was in the process of showing the disciples how big he was. And so Peter's peculiar request was pretty awesome if you think about it. You know, Jesus is saying, not only am I able to walk on your storms, but I will empower you to walk on your storms as well. I will empower you to do the impossible, the supernatural, to make it through the unthinkable. The danger of the storm didn't seem to be such a high priority anymore. You know what I mean? 
Jesus was there. And he had been in a storm with them before. You guys probably remember this. And Jesus showed that he was the Lord of the wind and the waves, right? They said, Jesus, hey, he was sleeping, right? There was a storm happening and he was sleeping. And he calmed, he rebuked the wind and the waves and, they, and he calmed them. He showed, he's already proven that he was bigger. Getting out of the storm wasn't the first thing of order. Getting to Jesus was. In the middle of the storm, Peter asked Jesus, let me come to you. Let me come to you. And that's pretty profound. Peter was known for saying some pretty profound things in the Bible, right? And also some pretty human things, sometimes putting his foot in his mouth at times, right? A couple of chapters later in Matthew, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, Jesus, we believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, right? And Jesus says, hey, that's good. That's good. And sometimes he says something as human as, hey, Jesus, don't go to the cross and die. And gets in trouble for that too, right? But I believe this request in our text was of the former. It was something outside of Peter. It was something that the Holy Spirit gave him. It was rad because instead of a request for deliverance, which that wouldn't have been a bad request. There's nothing wrong with that request. But instead of a request for deliverance, it became a request of closeness and a request of experience. Jesus, if it is really you, I want to go to you. If it's really you, I want to experience something radical, something that you're doing. If it's really you, I want to walk in some unknown stuff. I want to walk on my storms. I want to make it through this. I want to believe. And that's exactly what Jesus was aiming to do. He was aiming to strengthen the disciples' faith. Yes, walking on top of water is impossible, regardless of what the Internet and YouTube show, right? But for a moment, for a moment, Peter believed that God, who makes all things possible, could empower him to do the impossible, He believed it for a moment. And what is also neat is we see a progression of Peter's faith in Jesus, right? In Mark chapter 4, the other disciples, remember that other storm when they were with Jesus in the boat? When the storm was happening, Jesus was sleeping, they asked Jesus, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to go perish, that we're going to perish? The question was about Jesus caring or not. Here, Peter says, Let me come close to you, Jesus. Teach me to walk on storms like you do. And so in verse 29, Peter responds to Jesus' invitation to come. And he does what only Jesus before him has ever done. He took steps into the impossible, and he walked on top of the storm where Jesus was. The storm was still happening, right? The winds and the waves didn't cease. The storm was still happening. Because the storm was part of Jesus' plan. Can we trust God to do the impossible, to empower us to walk in the impossible in the midst of the storm? Can we trust Him to do that? This is how God strengthens our faith. He calls us to walk in steps that are impossible for us to do on our own. And at times... I don't like this, but at times, his plan is not to deliver us from the storms of life. In fact, he assures us in Scripture that we're going to have storms, that we're going to have trouble. But what's better, what's greater, 
is his plan is to be with us in the storm. He intends to show us that he is the master of the storm. Don't you guys want to learn that? That's so powerful. I want to learn that. So Peter is doing the impossible. He's walking towards Jesus. He's focusing on Jesus. But in verse 30, it says that when Peter saw the strength of the wind and the waves, he was terrified. When he saw the strength of the wind and the waves, he was focusing on Jesus, and then he saw the strength of the wind and the waves, and he focused on that, and he lost his right focus. He put his focus on the wrong thing. It was a very real thing. It wasn't like some fake storm. It was a real storm. It was a real, real storm, but it wasn't the ultimate thing. It wasn't the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing was Jesus himself, the master of the storm. And God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41, he tells us in verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Man, you heard that, right? (laughs) Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man, memorize that thing. That has been seeing me through storms in recent times. Unfortunately, Peter looked anxiously about him, right? He looked anxiously about him. He looked at the storm. He looked at his circumstances. He lost sight of where his help came from. He lost sight of his source. God says, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When Peter focused on Jesus, he was empowered to do the impossible. His faith and his belief was on the strong and sturdy eternal rock. The same goes for us. The same. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and not on our circumstances, our faith and our trust have an object that is strong and is sure and eternal. And we are able to stand in the storms of life. And you know what? By even God's grace, we're able to walk on the storms of life. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 12. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Man, that's good. That's good. We, this race we're called to walk in, this race, this, this life, they have impossible tasks that God is calling us to, to walk in, you know? And when we walk in those impossible tasks, we do it with our eyes on Jesus. And the NASB, in the translation, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Man, that's good. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Just like razor-sharp focus, Right? And what do we see when we do that? We see Jesus, the champion, the winner, the victor, the victorious one, right? The one who initiated our faith to begin with. This faith thing, that's not our idea. That's God. He started it. The one who is strengthening our faith. The one who defeated sin, death, and Satan through his death on the cross. We see the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father in absolute sovereign control over everything with perfect vision and sight of the storm that you're in right now. That's what we see when we fix our eyes on Jesus. We see a big God. 
And what's the fruit of these truths in our lives? The fruit of it is we have the, the, the possibility now to have an absence of fear in our life, right? We can experience closeness with God when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can experience and feel God's strength welling up within us. We receive God's help. God's help is for us when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can experience God holding us up. Those are some radical promises. Friends, we need to keep those close to our heart. That's where our help comes from. That's where our hope comes from. So back to Peter. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He sees the strength of the wind and the waves, the circumstances of life, and what happens? He starts to sink, right? He starts to view his circumstances as the ultimate reality as opposed to who, who was right in front of him the whole time. Jesus, who is our ultimate reality, Colossians 2.17 says. Man, at least Peter had enough faith to cry out to Jesus, right? He had an, to save me, save me, Jesus. He, at least he had that. Praise God for that. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe all the faith that you have right now is to cry out for Jesus for salvation and for deliverance. And man, that's okay. That's totally okay. Because he does that. God does that. He saves and he delivers. That's totally cool. He desires that that posture from us, that dependent posture from us. So that's good. But for those of us who, like Peter, have been walking with the Lord for some time and have seen him do some radical things in our lives and in the lives of those around us, I would propose to you right now that Jesus is desiring to strengthen your faith with that storm in your life. God intends to strengthen your faith with the storms of life. And on the other hand, the enemy is out to wreck your faith with the storms of, this, of your life. The question I have for us this morning is, which one are we submitting to? Which one, is, which one are we submitting to? I think we all like to say that we submit to God strengthening our faith with the storms. But if, if we really take a careful inventory of our posture and our demeanor and how we are in the midst of the storm. Would it really say that we see Jesus bigger than the storm? As I did this in my life, you know, I looked and I'm like, man, do I really see, do I really see Jesus bigger than the storms? I noticed that my heart's greatest desire wasn't for my faith to be built up. You know what I mean? I'll confess that to you. I'll receive my faith being strengthened. I'll receive that when it comes, you know. I'm not going to reject that. But that wasn't like this desire. In the middle of the storm, that wasn't my desire. It wasn't what I was seeking after. I wanted the storm to go away. I wanted deliverance. I wanted comfort and ease. I wanted predictability. You know, that whole, pre- that whole perfecting my faith thing, God, let's do that later. Let's do, let's do that at some other time. I don't want that right now. I want, I want like... I want ease right now. I want comfort. But Jesus is the author and he's the perfecter of our faith, Scripture says, because that's what he does. That's what he does. And that's what he was doing in the disciples. He was showing them how big he was in relation to the storm. Now, it wasn't the bigness of the disciples' faith or your faith. That wasn't the point. The point was the bigness of who their faith was in. 
Do you have a small view of God this morning? If you have a small view of Jesus, I'll guarantee you, you have a big view of the storm. Now, before we move on, I was talking to Dom about this last night. I really feel led to do this. I want you to think about the storm in your life or a recent storm in your life. You have a journal here this morning or a smartphone or a piece of paper. I want you to write this down. So take your, take your paper out, take your phone out, write this in your journal. Write this little statement. It says, Jesus is bigger than, and then you fill in the blank. Jesus is bigger than, you fill in the blank. You guys doing it? Reason why is because when you walk out those doors, that truth is going to be tested. It's going to get tested. The enemy's going to test it. And so Peter got caught up with the strength of the storm, and he cries out for Jesus for rescue. And what did Jesus say to him? He says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Those two sentences put together, it really struck me. Little faith equals doubting Jesus. Little faith equals doubting Jesus. Man, I don't want to doubt Jesus. I don't think any of us in here want to doubt Jesus. He's done too much in my life for me to doubt him. He's proven himself faithful and good. He has a perfect track record in my life, whether I want to admit that or not. Do you guys realize that God has a perfect track record of faithfulness and goodness in your life? That gets tested, but it is true. Now remember, the enemy desires to shipwreck your faith with the storms of life, right? He uses fear and discouragement as a means to oppose your faith. He lies and he causes doubt. He causes us to question the faithfulness and the goodness of God. You're in a storm. I'm going I'm to cause you to wonder if God's faithful, right? In the storm, he causes us to question our authenticity of being a child of God. Man, if you were a child of God, you wouldn't be going through that right now causing you to have a small view of Jesus. Have you guys heard these lies before? You guys, am I the only one? Are we going to submit to God's purposes in these storms or the enemy? Are we going to allow the storms to be a vessel to strengthen our faith? Or are we going to allow it to shipwreck our faith? Jesus aims to strengthen the faith of his people by giving them a huge view of himself. What is your posture? What is your mindset in the middle of all of that? God causes all things, everything, to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I would say this is true, but I would say it's especially true in the storm. Especially true in the storm. Because that's where I need that the most, right? That's where we need that truth the most, in the middle of the storm. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are called to his purpose. Man. You know, I've been fascinated, I'm fascinated with the martial arts. I've always been. I, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be Bruce Lee. You know what I mean? And in this season of my life in particular, I'm fascinated with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and in the jiu-jitsu class, there, there's a professor, right, an instructor. And, uh, and, and there's students in the class. And in a good student-professor relationship, 
The student submits to the professor's leading and guiding and direction and instruction. And a good professor, a good one, he's in tune with his student's like, situation, right? He's in tune with the student's goals and their, and their progress and their strengths and their weaknesses, things that need to be built up in the student. A good professor also knows these are the things that need to get developed. And this is how it gets developed, right? The best ways to bring those things out in that specific student. The different drills, the different techniques, the additional training. There's insight that the professor has that the student just isn't able to have just yet because of where the student is in experience and ability, right? The professor just knows more and has just experienced more. And so because of this, the student trusts the teacher, The student submits to the teacher's instruction and the techniques and the training. The student knows that the teacher has this path for them and that the path is, unfortunately, it's littered with hard work and injuries and tests and trials. But the fruit of that path, the fruit of the path is proficiency and maybe even excellence in the art. Now, it would be foolish for me to go into class and like when my instructor tells me to do certain techniques, to be like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. I'm going to resist this, right? To resist a technique or instruction because it's difficult or I'm tired, it's exhausting, or even at times painful, or even ask like, hey, can I get a hall pass? I need deliverance from this, this technique right now. I just, I don't want, it'd be foolish for me to go and, and, and have that posture in class. Because that technique and that instruction, that training is intended to produce something in me. To develop something in me that my, my instructor sees that I lack. And when I submit to that instruction, it produces the desired fruit. It's amazing. It's crazy. I actually find myself better when I'm practicing, when I'm sparring, or, or I'm able to do certain things that maybe a, year, a few years ago I was like, no, I'll never be able to do that. I find my, my practice to be more effective. But what's more impactful, in my opinion, is the connection I have with my professor. It's deeper. It's deeper. Like he says, hey, do this, and I actually did it, and it was fruitful. And like I'm able to trust what he sees a little bit more. I can rely on his instruction a little bit more. My belief in what he is teaching me increases. What if, what if in the storms of life, This is what Jesus is desiring to do in you. He sees what he wants to develop in you. He he sees the areas of your faith that are are still little, that still translate to doubt. He knows the different areas where the, the enemy's lies are still allowed a place to hang out and take root. He sees that. He wants to develop in you a higher view of him. And so like the great grandmaster that Jesus is, he strengthens our faith through hard times and through trials and through storms so that he could prove his faithfulness again, so he could show his goodness again, that he could prove his love to us, and he can show us that he is bigger than the storms. Andrew Murray, he comments on this passage that we're studying this morning. He says this, It is important to note that while Jesus is disappointed with Peter's inadequate faith, Peter has acted in greater faith than the other disciples. He is learning. Faith cannot be worked up by formulas or emotion, but it grows through various tests as we continue to trust our Lord and He continues to teach us. 
Faith grows out of a relationship with the person of Jesus and in no other way. What if we were to approach the storms of this life like we would a training session in the martial arts? Knowing that our master, Jesus, has his best in mind for us. Trusting in our master's purposes for us. Having faith in our master's process for us. And as we walk in this, we experience more of the master. We gain a higher view of the master. You know, some of these lessons in jiu-jitsu, they're hard lessons, man. I can't tell you how many injuries I've had in the last few years. But, you know, there are many, many, many training sessions just don't go well. Some of them don't go as planned. But you know what? It's just training. It's just, it's just fun, right? It's not ultimate. It would be crazy for me to start thinking that my world is ending because training session didn't go well or it wasn't to my expectations. If I went home and I'm moping or like angry at the kids and my wife's like, what's wrong? Oh, training didn't go well today. That's silly. You know what I mean? Because it's just training. It's not ultimate. And I'm not here to patronize any of you guys here, but I'm here to tell you, though, this morning that the storms of your life aren't as big as Jesus. They're not as big as Jesus. They're real, and they're heavy, and they're painful, but they're not as big as the Master. What is ultimate in your life is that Jesus is ultimate. He is the victor, and He wants to enlarge your view of Him, and that will strengthen your faith. He wants to kill that doubt that you have towards Him. Is there something in your life right now that you're focusing on instead of Jesus and it's causing you to have a small view of Him? So Peter's little faith was from a small view of Jesus. It was big enough to ask for being, for, for being saved. He, he at least had big enough view there, but it wasn't big enough to transcend the storm. And as you notice, this is crazy. Didn't you notice when Jesus stepped into the boat with the disciples, what happens? The storm stops. The storm stops. It ceases. Jesus didn't need to rebuke the wind and the waves like he did in Mark 4. He didn't have to do that. It just stopped. It was almost like training session is over. You know what I mean? Like it's done right now. You guys remember the movie The Matrix? Remember like those modules? Like it was one of like a module or something. It was real though. Like that specific training session was concluded for the day. I pray for the grace because it takes the grace of God. I pray for the grace to view the storms in my life to see it through that paradigm. Jesus is Lord over all the earth, the universe, the wind, the waves, the storms of your life. Even the stuff that the enemy has initiated has its limits. That's wild. That's wild. Even the stuff that the enemy initiates has, has limits, and they've been approved by your master to accomplish a divine purpose. The devil can't go beyond what's been approved by God. That's crazy. When you're in the boat with Jesus, like the disciples were ultimately in the boat, you're good. It says here in verse 33 of our text, when Jesus entered the boat, the wind and the waves stopped, and they worshiped Jesus. They worshiped Jesus. You really are the Son of God. That's what they said, right? They didn't say, you're the king of the Jews. They didn't say, hey, you're the one that's going to overthrow Rome and give us position. No, they didn't say that. They said, you are, you are truly the Son of God. Powerful, 
big view of Jesus, right? Big view, that's what happened. Big view of God all of a sudden. And the Son of God is to be worshipped in the midst of the storm, friends. In the middle of the storm. I want to close with this. I want to close with one of, uh, one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon. He has this rad quote. I hope I can read it because he has like a weird way of talking, but it's, it's powerful, all right? So it's, it says here, I'll have it on the screen for you. So, thy head may be crowned with thorny troubles now, but it shall wear starry crown ere long. Thy hand may be filled with cares, it shall sweep the strings of the harp of heaven soon. Thy garments may be soiled with dust now, they shall be white by and by. Wait a little longer, ah, how despicable our troubles and trials will seem when we look back upon them. Looking at them here in the prospect, they seem immense. But when we get to heaven, we shall then with transporting joys recount the labors of our feet. Our trials will then seem light and momentary afflictions. Thus, or let us go on boldly. If the night be never so dark, the morning cometh, which is more than they can say who are shut up in the darkness of hell. Do you know what it is thus to live in the future, to live on expectation, to antedate heaven? Happy believer, to have so sure, so comforting a hope, It may be all dark now, but it will be soon light. It may be all trial now, but it will soon be all happiness. What matters it though, weeping may endure for a night when joy cometh in the morning. Friends, the storm of your life are real. They're real. Some of us are mourning lost loved ones. Some of us are seeing loved ones like their life is gone dying. Some of us are in a marriage where it's just disintegrating before our eyes. These storms are real, but these storms are not ultimate. In time, we'll be able to look past them, maybe in, it, maybe in heaven, and see that Jesus is ultimate. And the hope and promise He has for you is sure and solid. Let's ask Him for closeness and His presence in the storm. In the, in the unknown, in the questions, in the doubt. Because he intends to give us a higher view of him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the truth that you were bigger than the storms. Bigger than our circumstances. We thank you, God, that you are here with us. Lord, I need help to see that. We need help to see that, God. Sometimes the storms are so big and they feel so real because they are real. But we know in truth that you're bigger. Help us see that this morning. Help us see that, Jesus, you are bigger than the storm. We ask for the grace for that right now. Amen.